0: we starting a new uh, series this week called Join Now and Get All This Free. Uh, every time you uh, go to become part of something, it, there's always something to try to get you to join at Sam's Club or join at uh, Country Club or join a particular uh, group or whatever. Everybody's got their little, hey, if you join, then this is what's going to happen. And churches are no different. Uh, we have all kinds of different things that we try to promote and reasons why we give people why they should join the church and so forth. Sometimes, though, we, we begin to think in terms of things we like, like if you join, hey, we get to eat meals from time to time, or if you join, uh, you know, we get all types of, we have all these friends, or, or this happens, or we get to do this, or we have these trips, or we, we try to think of things that we really like about church life and and say, hey, if, if you join, you get to do these things, too. On, a, on another side, I have people say things like, well, I don't know what I would do without my church family. I went through this really difficult time, and I'm so glad my church family was there. And so that, you know, that is a reason why I think everybody should be a part of a church. And relationships are very important. And relationships are a great reason to be a part of a church. But the reality is, is that relationships are available everywhere. I mean, you have relationships in the church, out of the church, sometimes. People have better relationships outside of church than they have inside of church. So that's really not what God's word tells us about. This is why you need to join. And so this whole series is about what God says uh, about joining his church and what he provides as a result of it. Now, when we say it's free. I think you should know this if you 've been to Sunday school for any length of time at all or attended church for any length of time at all if you if you don 't know this then well here 's new information uh, the it 's not really free uh, it 's not really free because it's it 's been paid for it 's just provided to us at no expense to us. And uh, and when we say Jesus paid it all, if you remember that old hymn, uh, he did. He paid all of it. He, he just took care of it. And so we're really talking about We're talking about the things that Christ has provided us at his own expense. And it is his church. So when we talk about the church, we're also talking about becoming part of the body of Christ, not just joining an organization, not just becoming part of a club, but actually becoming part of Christ himself and understanding that's really what membership is. Sometimes we we twist it around and, and get it confused in our heads and so forth. We see a group of people and they're all a part of something. and We really don't understand what it means. We say, well, we're going to become a member of it. In fact, I've had people come to me and say, church membership is not really a biblical concept. And I'm like... Actually, no. It, that's the whole point. The term "member" is we get that from the Bible. First Corinthians twelve, Paul talks about how we are members of the body, and and that's all. And they say, "Well, that's that's different." No, no that's well, that's what we're talking about. That that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about becoming a member, and and we've been focusing on being a part of a life group or a small group this year, and and. And we're going to kind of weave all those things in together because really... Getting to be a part of God's church, becoming a member of the body of Christ is about connecting with deep, personal, intimate relationships, understanding how we work together, understanding who you are, understanding your part in all of this and, and how you fit into everything that's happening and, and how people, how you need them and, and they need you and how we need each other. And, and so all these different things are going to come out as we look at God's Word What do to say about becoming part of this. And today, we're talking, the, the first thing that I want you to know is when you become a member of the body of Christ, you get a 100% guarantee, a 100% guarantee. Now, we, when I was in Campus Crusade, we would go around to um, visit people on the campus at Western, and we would ask them this question. We'd say, what do you think the odds are of you getting into heaven? I've shared this before. And, and, uh, but what I was always amazed about is how the numbers that they would come up with. Because people would say things like, sometimes they would say, I don't know. But most of them, they had an answer. It would always be something like, hmm, let's say 67%. And you're sitting there, I know the answer is going to be 0 or 100. And, uh, but when they give me the 67%, I do want to pause and go... Now, how did you calculate that? You know, because they, they took a moment. It's like you can see them doing a little bit of math in their head. They're thinking, well, I went to church those years and I attended a little bit of school, read my Bible a little bit. I've been good this many. I've been, you know, 33% of the time not so good or something. I don't know what they're calculating, but they came up with numbers 67% or 71% or 56% or 32%. And they would always come up with these numbers. And you would just kind of smile and say, well, what if I told you? that I could give you a 100% guarantee that you are going to go to heaven. And, and really, isn't that what we want? What we really want to know is, are we 100% sure that we're going to go to heaven? Without strapping dynamite in our chest and, and running off and doing something some type of jihad moment of doing something to please God or whatever is there or is there something you know if I help this many old ladies across the street or if I if I do this go to Sunday school this number of times I, I meet a lot of people who are like what can I do and get away with it and still go to heaven you know what's the bare minimum I can do and still make it but we do want to know this we do want to know are we going to make it and. And here's the thing that really surprises me about people and, and about myself to a great degree. And that is the, the amount that we are willing to trust people who don't know what they're talking about to say when they say, oh, you're okay. We go to people and say, hey, do you think I'm okay? And they say, you're okay. And really don't ask ourselves, are they really qualified to tell me that? <laughs> Are they really qualified? Do they really understand themselves? Because we're just looking for somebody to give us a little bit of confidence that everything is good. Well, I want you to have that confidence. I want, have, I want you to know that Jesus wants you to have that type of confidence. He wants you to have a 100% guarantee that you are going to be with him for all eternity. And the reason why he wants that is because if, you're, if you believe that and you know that, then you act differently. You live differently. You live like a person who's not afraid of what's going to happen when they're going to die. You live like a person who's confident they're going to live forever. And people who are confident they're going to live forever, I'm just they are more usable for the kingdom of God. People who are afraid of death and afraid that everything here is temporary live a different type of life. But look at me. The passage we're going to look at is in First John. First John. And this is the Apostle John. This is, um, these were letters he wrote to the church, and he wrote these letters uh, to give the church confidence, to give the church confidence in their faith and understanding. Of who they are. So he is. Um, if anybody has, you know, if anybody has the authority, this is the guy who was with Jesus throughout his entire ministry. Was there when Jesus was crucified. Was there at the tomb when Jesus resurrected. Saw him multiple times. And the last apostle left standing. He was exiled to the to Isle of Patmos and and, uh, and was and wrote the book of Revelation. And so has this incredible intimacy with christ if anybody would know the answer to um, how do i know i'm going to be in heaven it would be john so look at me in first john chapter 4 verse 13 he says this is how we know that we remain in him and he in us He has given assurance to us from His Spirit. And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent His Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in Him and He in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and the one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in Him. Pray with me. Father, we just want to know today... That we are one hundred percent connected to you, Lord, we just want to absolutely know for sure that we are a part of your body, a part of your church that we are a member of the body of Christ and father just, and also that we are going to be with you forever that we are truly saved and no questions no doubts about it so that we can serve you faithfully and um, and without fear for we pray it in Jesus name amen there was a, a few years ago a um Bailey Smith's crusade came to the area and um and where I'm from, and a lot of people from the church went to that crusade and got saved again, I guess you could say and one of the reasons was is because he uh he said that you should are you would say are you one hundred percent sure that you're saved and, and begin to put a little bit of doubt in people's minds and because they had that little bit of doubt in their minds, a lot of people said, you know what? I, I think I sinned last Tuesday, or I remember doing something wrong last Thursday, or I doubted God last Friday. And so I'm not really 100% sure that everything's okay between me and God. So rather than go to hell, I think I'm going to go forward tonight and get saved again. And then wound up getting baptized again, and everybody's church numbers went up really strong. And, uh, and, uh, but it caused a lot of confusion because people who didn't go to the crusade, and you have all these people come back, and you know they're followers of Christ, have been followers of Christ forever, are all of a sudden saying, In fact, the pastor got saved. I remember a pastor of the church that eventually I became their pastor. Uh, but the, uh, I remember he uh, they said, you know, that was one of the things in the interview process. Are you 100% sure you're saved? And that's an that's a odd question, but yeah, sure. And they said, um, well, we had a pastor who got saved after he got here. And... Um, and that's awkward when you have one of your deacons baptizing you in the church because it's like, well, then was his calling valid and was his ordination valid and all those things? And the answer is no, all those things are not valid because they were done when he was lost, if that's the case. So then he kind of changed his mind and said, well, maybe I really wasn't completely not say, and so it just got confusing. So uh, we just typically avoid things like that. But it reminds me of something. how you can get this analogy i don't know if you've uh, ever been in this situation where you've been out to eat and um here's that picture he's gonna put it up there there it is there it is um my dad this isn't my dad and me but this i don't have a picture of my dad and i going through this experience my dad would always ask us to go out to eat and he always take us my dad loved to eat and he always loved to eat at nice places and he had a really good job and made quite a bit of money. And, uh, and so uh, I was a poor minister and had four children. And so when he'd ask us out, I would never ask. I don't know why. I would never say. It was just always implied that he was going to pay for it. You know, and so because I know he knew I couldn't afford to go where he was asking me to go eat. He do like, we want to take you guys out to eat. And I'm like, okay. And he had this thing that he would do every time we go out to eat. We'd sit there and we're, you know, we're ordering he never would say ever, 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 that he 's going to pay for it ever he would never do that, and so we 're sitting there and i'm am i 'm always order, looking at the menu thinking you know if he doesn 't pay, how am I going to pull this out and and so i 'm looking my kids, however, had utmost confidence in their grandfather, and so they 're ordering the biggest things on the menu without hesitation and so forth and i 'm sweats breaking out on me you know and so forth, and then the check would come, and they would lay the check down, and he would leave it there. For the longest period of time. In fact, he left it until I did something. And you know what I had to do? I had to reach for it. And the moment I would reach for it, then he would grab it. It was just this sick little game that he would play. And, uh, and so I'm, you know, because I'm, I'm thinking, what if he doesn't stop? What if he doesn't? But you know what? Here's the thing. He always, always paid for it. Every time. He always paid for it, and I know he was just simply trying to say, "You just don't trust me. You just don't trust me." And I didn't. <laughs> I didn't trust him, and uh, and so I. But I. But you know, you try to look at, and, and no matter what, I mean, you think about it. If if he's taken you out a thousand times, and nine hundred and ninety nine times he's paid for it, and you're on that thousandth time, odds are it's going to be just like the previous nine hundred and ninety nine. It's always the same thing, and yet I could never. Feel comfortable eating. I could never feel confident eating and so forth because I was always afraid, what if this is the time he fails me? And that is exactly the way we relate to God so often. It's like, even though all the evidence shows that he's right there with me, that I've been walking with him and everything's okay, everything's well. You know, and, and when people, I remember trying to weigh through, you know, am I really saved? Because when I, when I was 18, I really doubted my salvation. <clears throat> I remember, you know, I got saved when I was nine. Really, when I was eight, and got baptized when I was nine, and then because um, we didn't have a baptistry, so we had to wait for a church to loan us theirs. I got saved in the winter time, um, and uh, I wasn't a Creek guy. Uh, they didn't offer that, but I, I guess I would have. if They said that we did, but I don't think my preacher wanted to get to cold Creek either. But um, but we um, we um, all through my childhood, I didn't really think about whether I was saved. You know, not really saved. Until I left high school. And when I, actually when I was 17, till the time I was 19, my life, I'm going to tell you, was not exactly the way that my Sunday school teacher had told me it should be. And I was not living the life that I, I, I was so... Growing up in a little town and a little church where all eyes are up on you all the time, when I went away to college, I started college when I was 17... Uh, it was a freedom that I had never known before. And I loved that freedom and took full advantage of doing every conceivable thing that I always wanted to do. Then there were a list of things that I would never do and, uh, because my mother made me believe that I would just spontaneously combust if I ever did those things. And so, uh, but there was a long list of things she didn't really address. And so I, I, I was discovering life. And with that, then I come home on the weekends... And feel so guilty when I would be back in church again. And after a while, I began to think maybe I'm really not a Christian. Maybe I'm really not saved. And um, and then went through a period of repentance and turned my life turned around, and so forth. It was probably I was I was already married and into my early twenties in the ministry before I really could feel confident that I was saved when I was nine or eight when I and let me tell you how I came to the conclusion that I really was saved when I was eight because my father had been picking up the bill over and over and over again through that entire period of time he was always there here's how you have assurance here's how I had assurance that my father was going to pay for the meal he was there he was there Every time he was present at the table, he took care of it. He he provided. And here's how I know when God is in my life and God's going to take care of everything and I'm his. When he's there. When he's there. When I'm away from him, when I'm estranged from him, I'm not so sure. But when I'm with him, absolutely 100% confident. Look what uh, John says in chapter... Uh, 1 John chapter 4 verse 13 He says this This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us He has given assurance to us from his spirit He has given assurance to us in his spirit what we are, all we all we need to do to know. First, so the first thing we have to have this hundred percent guarantee to be hundred percent sure is we have assurance, and the assurance is the presence of God. We look for the Holy Spirit working. We just look for evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life. We don't see the Father. We don't see Jesus. We can see Jesus if He was here, but He's not here. So how do we, know we look, how do we know God is here? How do we know he's in our midst? We look for the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told Nicodemus, it's kind of like the wind. You can't really see the wind, but you can see the effects of it. You can see what it's doing. And so that's, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for the work of the Holy Spirit. One of the reasons why we study the Bible and look at the Bible is because it tells us how the Holy Spirit works. And when you begin to understand how the Holy Spirit works, then you can see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you're thinking, I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't have any idea what, you, what it looked like for the Holy Spirit to work. Well, that means you need to spend. we need to spend more time in Sunday school then. We need to spend a little more time studying His Word. He, he teaches us. There, there are people, I mean, uh, if you look in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, Paul... They had the same issues back in Paul's day. In Galatians 5, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit, he's evidence of the Holy Spirit, the signs that the Holy Spirit is working are these things. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love. So when you see love present, that's the Holy Spirit working. Joy, when you see joy being experienced, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, uh, evidence that he's there. Peace. The Holy Spirit brings peace to situations. Patience, when you are endowed with patience, even in places that would make you normally impatient, that's evidence the Holy Spirit is there. Kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Paul's saying these when these things are present in your life, it is evidence that the Holy Spirit is there Working. Now, can you have those things if the Holy Spirit isn't there? Yeah, we can personally generate those things. But when you are, um, but you and I can do those things on a temporary basis. The Holy Spirit always possesses these things. He always does these things. And so when these things are consistently there and, and, and also when you are believing for the presence of God to be there, when you're aware of God and aware of who Jesus is, Aware of His Holy Spirit, these are the things you're looking for. These are the evidences there. It's like it's like I have certain attributes about me, and, and when I'm there, my kids know I'm there because there are certain things that show that Dad's here. Now, there are other people who are like me, but there's only me who has all the traits of me. And the Holy Spirit has all these traits all the time, and nobody does that. No, no human... Has all of these things all the time, never failing. The Holy Spirit does, though, and uh, and that's evidence of His presence. Uh, and and also, and we'll look and see there are other aspects that He brings to us. and And one of those things, so it's not just this assurance, but it's tied together with other things. And the uh, one of the other things it's tied together with is a testimony. A testimony. Um, I love. The Ten Commandments, the movie the Ten Commandments, the Cecil B DeMille version of the Ten Commandments i I've seen the other you know Prince of Egypt and all these other cartoon versions and then other movie versions of Moses and so forth, but there is no replacement for Joel Brenner versus Charlton Heston. There is no place that you'll ever see where where Moses is just this guy who is just so. Potent and powerful, and and uh, now granted, I don't think they realize that Moses is actually eighty when he comes there. But but still, he may if he looks like that when he's eighty, he's doing great. And so, uh, but but it's this confrontation between two people. And there was a preacher years ago, uh, Tony uh, Campolo was talking about his his pastor went through an entire message and and talked about the difference between titles and testimonies. He was speaking to a group of graduates, and he was trying to tell them that most graduates go after titles. But what God calls us to go after is a testimony. And he uses Moses and Pharaoh as a great example. And he says, look, Pharaoh is an incredible title. I mean, Pharaoh, who doesn't want to be Pharaoh? I mean, you're, what a title that is. You are the king. You are given all the riches, all the wealth, and so forth. And all Moses has, Moses gave up his title for just a testimony. But Moses' testimony was that he had been in the presence of God. And then he had been called by God and sent by God. To this, everything Moses is doing at this point is just simply a testimony of what God is doing. Moses really is nothing in and of himself. He was out in the, out in the desert raising sheep and, and, and just out tending these sheep. And then God calls him out of that and says, hey, here's what I want you to do. And all he has... Is the testimony of what he's experienced with God, and really that's all we have that matters. Now we want we we fall into the trap like so many do of wanting that title. Boy, if I could be this, if I could have this title, it's like when we do deacon elections. I've 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 had this in every church I've ever pastored, and um, and I had uh, from the very first church to now. And that is people start to sweat over, I wonder if I can be a deacon. Let me help you out here. Everyone can be a deacon. The word deacon simply means servant. Giving you the title servant doesn't make you a servant. Even though the church is, I think it's a good thing the church sets aside people. Just like calling me pastor doesn't make me a pastor. If you call me a pastor, great, but if I'm not pastoring then you that'll stand out at some point. You'll not be so pleased that I have the title pastor. Uh, and, and people say, well, he's not... Yeah, he is our pastor, but he's not so great a pastor. Uh, and so, uh, But that's because pastors are supposed to be pastoring. It's, it's not the title. It's the testimony that matters. It's the testimony that matters. It's actually that I do these things. And so when we say, yeah, I have the assurance that God is in my life and I see his presence here, now the question is, is... How, What is my personal experience in knowing that this is the Lord in my life? Look in verse 14 and 15. He says in chapter 4, verse 14, he says, And we have seen and we testify that the Father has sent his Son as the world's Savior, same part of we have the assurance of his spirit we see the presence of the spirit in our lives but we have also seen and testify that god we believe that god has sent his son jesus into the world as the savior of the world and he says whoever confesses that jesus is the son of god god remains in him and he and God. So he goes back. He says, we know that we remain in him because we have the assurance of the spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit is how we know we remain in him. And he says, also, we know that we remain in him because we confess him. Because we confess him. We have a testimony that Jesus is in our lives. We, and we share that. We, we tell people, Jesus is in my life. I, I have a real experience with God. Now, it may not be your experience. It's not going to be your experience, but it is going to be my experience. I have an experience in my life where I have encountered God and he's real to me in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is real to me. And so this is my testimony. I have a testimony to share of how Jesus is real to me. You should have a testimony of how Jesus is real to you. And if you don't have that testimony, there's a reason why you don't feel like you have that 100% guarantee. Why you don't feel that sense of assurance. If if you stop and say, I'm not really sure I have the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm not really sure if I have a testimony. Then, of course, you should not have assurance. And don't let other people tell you, oh, it's okay, because it's not okay. Because you should have those things in your life. Those, that should be evidence of the Lord work in your life. Now, we're going to tell you in a second how you can have those things in your life. So you can be sure. But don't be thinking you're sure when you don't have especially those two things. And there's a third thing. Wait, I've got to finish this point. First, so communicate, communicate to, G, to people that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. So don't do that unless he is. But if he is, then commun- share that with people. Because as we share that with people, if it's real, if we're really sharing our real story, then people share back. Yeah, that people who know him and walk with him will affirm you. That sounds like Jesus, all right. That sounds like how he works. I can affirm that, yes, that's how Jesus works in our life. Those who know him will identify with your story. Those who don't know him will be drawn to him through your story. We'll we'll say, I want to know Jesus that way. And then you share, well, this is how he revealed himself to me. Maybe he'll reveal himself to you. And he does. I've seen that happen. But if you're sharing, well, here's my story with Jesus. It's really kind of sad. I don't really know him. Uh, Then I can say, well, that doesn't sound very good. (laughs) Maybe, maybe let's find out how we can change that. How you can really get to know him. Because it really comes down to the last one. The last thing is faith. Faith. Probably one of the people I admire as much in the Christian faith as anyone else, in far the, the life they lived, is Mother Teresa. And that's a little bit odd for a Baptist person to say about a Catholic nun, but but the, one of the reasons why I admire Mother Teresa so much is because of her. She's Albanian and came from these very humble beginnings, but she went to India and she lived her entire life caring for people in a place in India where they were all dying. Um, She went to the most extreme, one of the most, in Calcutta, India, she went to one of the most extreme places where people just, they were so poor and they were so diseased and they were so uh, stricken. They were just, they didn't have very long lifespans. And she went to care for these people as they were dying. Gave her life to caring for people as they were people who could never do anything for her. She just simply wanted to love in the name of Christ. Well, what made her really special to me is the fact that she doubted doubted whether God was even real as she was in it. Because I begin to think, how could you remain so confident in those circumstances? And the thing was, she wasn't. Her faith was shaken continuously. And and here's, and here's what she taught me and, uh, and and taught so many others about faith. And that is that even though she doubted, even though she wondered whether God was even real in seeing the plight of humanity that she was seeing, she persevered. She persevered. She continued to live as though God is real. And and that is faith. Thomas doubted, but he didn't leave. He didn't abandon. He Doubted whether this John the Baptist doubted didn't leave or abandon God. He stayed. I want you. to, There's a guy who went and uh, a philosopher. Says, and this is the story is told over the years. People came from all over the world to seek the wisdom of Mother Teresa. One of those seekers was a philosopher and professor named John Cavanaugh. Cavanaugh traveled thousands of miles to Calcutta to meet with this revered spiritual leader in hope of receiving some guidance. On his first morning there, Mother Teresa asked Kavanaugh why he journeyed such a long distance to visit her in the house of the dying. Kavanaugh replied, I want you to pray for me. She asked, how can I pray for you? He said, pray that I have clarity. Mother Teresa responded, that I will not do. Her response stunned him and he said, I don't understand why not. She asked and said, she smiled and said, clarity is the last thing you are clinging to and must let go of. Clarity, like certainty, and this is just the author's uh, comment. Clarity, like certainty, can become an idol. Kavanaugh, like most of us, wanted certainty that his next steps were the right ones, the steps God wanted him to take. Mother Teresa knew such certainty was not available, so she chose to tell him that he must let go of that desire. Still confused, Kavanaugh responded, You always seem to have clarity. Teresa laughed and said, I never have had clarity. What I have always had is trust. So I will pray that you trust God. Look in verse 16 of chapter 4. He says, And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And the one who remains in love remains in God. And God remains in him. Believing that God loves us requires faith. It requires trust. Because everything around us sometimes will make us believe that God does not love us. Or that he doesn't love us that much. Or that he doesn't love other people. Sometimes we will encounter people and think, I don't think God does love them. Because look how horrible their lives are. We have to... God is love. And so if God is real, then he loves us. And he proved his love through the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. So in, in believing that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, we have to believe that he was alive and, and, and was crucified. You can't come back from the dead unless you are dead. So we believe he was crucified. And why was he crucified? He was crucified for us, for our sins, as an act of God's love. And so if we believe the reality of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, then we believe that God is real. We believe that his love is real. Even when it doesn't look like his love is real, we have to trust that his love is real. And that is faith. Faith is believing in things that we cannot see. Sometimes we don't see God. Sometimes we don't hear God. Sometimes it doesn't seem like he's there. But we have the assurance, the presence of the Holy Spirit is there when the fruit of God's Spirit is working in our midst. We have We have a testimony when we have had a real, actual experience in which God has made himself real to us. And we just have faith that he loves us. We just have to have faith that he loves us. And when those things are present, when you have the assurance of his presence is real, when you have the testimony of this, that he has revealed himself to you, when you have faith that he loves you, then you have this 100%. Guarantee because faith or trust this is what we trust and believe that God loves you. When you and I trust and believe that God loves us, when we we believe this, even when it's not evident, overtly evident in our lives at the moment, it still gives us the confidence to love other people. See, when I think I'm not loved, when I think that God doesn't love me, I don't have any love to give you. I don't want to love you because I, I myself, I'm desperate for love. I meet so many people who are just desperate for love. And, and so they're like drowning people, reaching out, grabbing onto people, grabbing onto anything, hoping to receive some type of love. But when I'm confident that God loves me, when, I'm, when I know that he is in my life, when I know that he's revealed himself to me, when I know that he loves me that I can go out and love other people confident that his love sustains me, that I don't have to fear things. I don't have to fear death. I don't have to fear the mockery of other people. I don't have to fear failure. I don't have to fear whatever life can throw at me. Whatever Satan has to say and say, you should be afraid. I don't have to be afraid. In fact, that's why the most often repeated command in the Bible is to fear not. Not to be afraid. Because we don't have to be afraid because God is evident. So here's the invitation. To be 100% sure you are saved, here's what you need to do. As clear as I can make it. Ask God to put his Holy Spirit in you. I, I tried to think of a better way to phrase that that was more religious sounding. But here's the deal. You need his Holy Spirit If you just clearly communicate to God, God, put your Holy Spirit in me. I thought that's what David said in Psalm 51 in so many words. He said he he believed he had the Holy Spirit and said, God, don't take it from me because I've sinned against you. And if you've sinned and you think, and if you've done things and you think you've quenched the Holy Spirit in you, well, just simply ask, either don't keep it there, don't take it from me, or put it in there. Put the Holy Spirit in me. I need your Holy Spirit. And, and we know we're Baptists. We're not going to say well, you have to evidence that by some type of manifestation of, of spiritual stuff or whatever. We, the, the evidence is, is that his peace, his patience, his love, his joy, it will become manifested in your life. That will be the evidence of the Holy Spirit. And then ask him to reveal to you that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. That's your testimony, that he makes himself real to you. And then finally, that he would grant you the faith to trust him as your personal Lord and Savior. That it would become something that is that you, he would give you faith. Because without faith, it is impossible to live for God. You have to believe him. You have to trust him. And so really, it just comes down to this. If you're not sure, if you're not sure, if you know someone who's not sure... These are simple things. Ask him for his Holy Spirit. Ask him to reveal to you that he really is who he says he is, that he is God, that he did send his son Jesus, that Jesus is real, that he did die on a cross, that he did rise from the dead, that he does live today. And he is the Lord and Savior of the world. And then believe that for yourself, that he is your Lord, that he is your Savior. And trust him. Trust him. And if you do that, if you are doing that, you are saved. Absolutely. Now, now you're hearing it from someone who you can have confidence in because I just shared it from God's word. I don't care if your mama told you you're okay. I'm telling you you're okay based on the authority of God's word. If those things are real, you can be. One. You can say, I am 100% sure that all those things are true in my life and I am saved. You don't have to go out and prove it. It is a matter of faith. We call it saving faith. So if you have faith that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, yes, you are saved. But if you are not confident in that, you can be. All you have to do is ask right now, and he will save you. Pray with me. Father, we just thank you, God, so much for your love and for your grace and for the confidence we can have in your saving ability. And, Lord, I just pray for everybody in this room. I pray everyone in this room is 100% confident, 100% sure of their salvation, 100% sure that they are a part of the body of Christ. Lord, we can't move forward in our life in Christ until we're 100% sure that all is good. Lord, we have doubts, doubts about the reality of everything, Lord. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about our confidence in your saving ability. We're talking about our faith that you are our Savior, our faith that you are our Lord. And, Lord, as sin has gotten in the way and we are not being obedient and we've separated from you, Lord, if you're not present at the table, Lord, if if we've gotten estranged from you, gotten away from you, of course we're not going to feel confident. Of course we're going to have fear creep in. So, Lord, today is the day where we need to come back to you. And when we come back to you, Lord, we'll have that confidence again. But, Lord, we have to come back to you first. So, Lord, I pray that we would do that. I pray that we would come back to you. Be in your presence. And, Father, when we get back into your presence to affirm our testimony that you are real. That you really are who you say you are. And, Lord, that we believe you. We put our trust in you, our hope in you. I pray that everyone would do that today. Lord. There's no reason someone shouldn't be completely confident in their own salvation. So then we are free to go out and love others in Jesus' name. Free to go out and share the gospel to the world. Free to go out and be a testimony of light. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.